I'm not preaching on marriage. Just. <laughs> you know, in any given congregation, it's a real mix. You've got some people that are very free and uh, other people that are still dragging around a ball and chain. And my hope tonight is that we're going to cut some of these things off and uh, you're going to leave a little bit freer than perhaps maybe when you came in. So I'm going to be talking tonight about forgiving the unforgivable. Here's a couple of examples of the unforgivable. Most recently, July the 20th, 2012, those of you that have lived in Colorado, there was a mass shooting in a theater in Aurora. A guy goes in, he throws smoke bombs, he's got several different automatic weapons, he's killed 12 people, wounded 70 others. It was the deadliest shooting in Colorado since the Columbine High School Massacre in 1999. Is it unforgivable? If you were one of those families that lost a loved one, is it possible for us to forgive a man who claims insanity today to release him? Stories of abuse. This is tragic. Violence against women and girls is one of the world's most pervasive human rights abuses. One out of three women experience violence during their lifetime. One out of three. So look around. We've got a lot of ladies here. If this gathering is a statistical norm, one out of three of these women either has or will experience some kind of violent tragedy. One in five girls and one in 20 boys are the victims of child sexual abuse. Some of you are here tonight. Human trafficking is the second largest criminal industry worldwide. In just the United States alone, there's an estimated 300,000 children that are trafficked and sexually exploited. Can we forgive that? Can we forgive the person that turns? Stories of atrocities. This was probably the most recent thing in the news, but here's what wasn't reported. Focus on the family has an office in Egypt. And the gentleman that heads up that office actually knew some of these families personally. And so his report was very, very different than what you might have seen on CNN, Fox News, ABC. On the shore of Libya, 21 young men, all of which were Christians, from impoverished homes, the majority of them married with children, were traveling to find employment. They were captured. They were told that they would be allowed to live if they would renounce their faith. Not only did they not renounce their faith, but before they were executed so brutally, 
They were actually singing a hymn and worshiping the Lord before the gun was finally pulled. Or in this case, actually, their throats were all cut. Can you forgive the unforgivable? What about your story? I've been in ministry for 40 years. I hope I've heard it all. I hope I've heard it all. I talk with people every day that have experienced unspeakable tragedies. Rejection, abandonment, betrayal from family members, friends, people that you should have been able to trust, who proved that they were completely untrustworthy. Betrayal even in the church. Sometimes church leaders prove themselves to be incredibly weak. Many years ago, when Linda and I were planting, well, actually, it was before we planted our first church, we were in uh, Casper, Wyoming. Boy, these things get heavy after a while, just dragging them around. And I was the youth and Christian education director, and our son was a year old, and he loved to play in drywall mud. <laughs> we found him there one day. And the pastor, who was very much like a father, a spiritual father, a wonderful, wonderful man of God, great marriage, I mean, really couldn't have been a better example for the two of us who were very young. And I don't know what happened, but he got crosswise with the church board, and he was terminated. The way the parsonage was set up, he and his family lived on the top, and in the basement, it was a small apartment, and Linda and I lived in that apartment. And when the denomination assigned a new minister to that congregation, they forgot to tell him that there was someone living in the basement of the parsonage. And knowing the day when he was going to, to come, I was ready to greet him. He pulled into the driveway. I walked out of the basement of the house. He wanted to know who I was and why I was living in his home. And being the intuitive man that I am, I knew I was in so much trouble. But I'm, I'm wired in such a way that the glass is half full and probably rising. You know, I mean, if I have two or three bad hours, it's, I mean, that's pretty severe. So I just, you know, I just figured, you know what? I've been hired to do a job. I work as unto the Lord. I'll do the best I can to get along with this guy. And it was... I don't know, what, six months right in there? Maybe only four, she says. After a Sunday service, one of the deacons came and said, George, pastor would like to see you in his office. So I, I don't think anything about it. I go running up the stairs to the pastor's office, and I walked in. I'm going to try not to fall off. I walked in, and the entire deacon board was there. And the pastor began to level serious accusations about my integrity and my conduct, that I was undermining his authority, that I was gossiping. I mean, and I'm standing there, and I cannot believe what I am hearing. 
And as, I, and as he's dressing me down verbally, I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he says to me, submit to those who are in authority over you. And a supernatural peace came into my heart. So he continued leveling all these accusations. And when he was finally done, he said, effective immediately, you're fired. I want you to leave the church. I want you to leave the city. Linda is pregnant with our second child. We have no savings, no job possibilities. Our entire family is put at risk. And I asked for permission to speak. I said to him and to the deacons of the church, I am going to do exactly as you have asked me to do because God has placed you in authority over me. As soon as I can figure out how to accomplish what you've asked, I will do that. Secondly, there is nothing that has been said in this room that has any thread of truth at all. And I turned around, and as I'm walking from the church office across the parking lot to the parsonage, I am shaking because I don't know how to tell my wife what just happened. On top of that, Linda and I had been praying and felt led of the Lord that we would pioneer a church. This was in November when I lost my job. And we were thinking after the baby was born that we would go about 120 miles further west into Wyoming and we would pioneer a church in June. So I went home and I said, sweetheart, God has changed our timetable. We are leaving as soon as we can pack our meager belongings. Were you eight months pregnant? Eight months pregnant and the baby was breech. So we packed up our belongings and we headed to Riverton, Wyoming. Does any, anybody ever heard of Riverton, Wyoming? Okay, there you go. No place to go, no place to live, no job. Not a whole lot of choices. And here's what God enabled us to do. He enabled us to forgive. You see, you either get bitter or you get better. And I learned a long time ago, even as a young minister, that I didn't want to allow another human being to determine my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If I hang on to bitterness... I'm shackled. If I hang on to bitterness and unforgiveness, I'm just always dragging something behind me. And sooner or later, it's just going to trip you up. So, how do we do that? How do we forgive the unforgivable? First of all, I want you to understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denial. When I choose to forgive, I'm not denying what happened. You know, it's interesting. I can talk about this situation um, that happened in Casper. It was actually our first crucifixion, and it was quite thorough. 
And I can talk to you about it. I don't have any feelings rising up, any emotions rising up. I mean, I can tell you what happened like I could tell you what I had for breakfast this morning. Because there's no resentment, there's no bitterness, there's, it's just history. It's all it is, just, it's, just, it's a piece of our story. When I choose to forgive, I'm not pretending like the situation didn't happen. I'm not sweeping anything under the rug. Secondly, forgiveness is not accepting the wrong. It's not accepting it. You know, some, some of the people that I talk to, they have this, they, they believe this lie that, you know, I, I actually deserve that. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to be treated with respect. People that are wounded latch on to some incredible lies that really shackle them for so many years. So when I choose to forgive, I'm not just accepting it as, well, you know, that's life. It just happens. When I choose to forgive, it's for my good first. When I, when I chose to forgive this man, I didn't choose to forgive him so that he would feel good. I chose to forgive him so I would not be polluted in my soul. Does that make sense? When I choose to forgive, it's first of all for my benefit. It's for my benefit. Because I don't want to carry these loads. I don't want to drag these chains. When I choose to forgive, it allows me to heal. How many people here have been wounded? Can I just see a show of hands? Those of you that didn't raise your hands, talk to me after the service, would you? <clears throat> when you're wounded, you want to heal. I, I have a, a, you know what a frequent flyer card is? You know? You know, you, you get so many miles and you get a free trip. I'm just about ready for a, tree, a free trip to the emergency room. I don't know what it is about me working in the garage after business hours of a hospital, but I'll cut myself and I'll go in bleeding. Linda will drive me to the emergency room. And <laughs> the most recent one, oh my goodness gracious, I, what can I say? I should probably stay out of the garage, you know, leave the sharp things alone, um, Ended up getting 17 stitches in just a real small little place just on the tip of my finger. And uh, the surgeon was so, man, he was so great. He said, you know, I had a laceration like that once, and they stitched it up. Let me show you the scar because they didn't do a good job. I'm going to make sure you don't have a scar like that. I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. I've got the right guy after hours. And so I submitted and it was, oh man, oh man, it was so incredibly painful because they had to wash out the wound. And so they're washing out the wound and muscles are sticking up through the cut and, and it was all I could do to stay sitting down. And then pretty soon, this, the, the, whatever they put in there to deaden it finally took hold and he just very calmly stitched me up. And you know, I look at that finger and it's just fine today. You know, forgiveness works that way. When you're hurt, when somebody betrays you, when someone 
You know, you, you go to someone in secret, you know, you, you, you just need to bare your soul and, and, you know, everything is supposed to be confidential and before you know it, everybody in the office knows what was supposed to be confidential and you're just, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. When we choose to forgive, what we're saying is, God, I give you permission to close the wound. I give you permission to stop the bleeding. I give you permission to heal. When we choose not to forgive, the wound stays open and it continues to bleed. And some people have been bleeding for 10, 20, 30 years and more because the wound is still open. We have to understand God's command. Matthew 6 14 through 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Does that seem fair to you? I mean, does that really seem fair? If I hang on to the offense, God's going to hang on to mine. Let me read that to you in the Amplified. It's really, it's really good. For if you forgive people their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, reckless and willful, leaving them, letting them go, giving up resentment, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We've got to let it go. You know, we walk around, we carry this thing, and I mean, it's just hard to move when you're shackled with unforgiveness. But when I choose to let it go, when I choose to just let it go. Now here's, here's the interesting thing about forgiveness. It's not an event. Forgiveness is a process that starts with an event. It starts with my decision to let it go. How many of you uh, are still paying on your car, your car? You're still, the bank still owns your vehicle? Would it, would it be cool, sister, if, if Pastor Steve went to the bank and said, you know what, this is such a precious woman and we love her so much. And she's, she's like, yeah, 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 go to the bank, go to the bank. Uh, wherever you are, Pastor Steve, uh, beware. So he goes to the bank and he says, you know what, I just want to bless this woman. I'm going to pay off that note. The debt has been canceled. It's been canceled. You owe nothing to anyone. Forgiveness is me tearing up the note. Forgiveness is me saying, you know what? You don't owe me an apology. You don't owe me an explanation. You owe me nothing because I have canceled the debt. I've torn up the paperwork. You do not owe me anything from this point forward. Mark eleven twenty five, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven will forgive you. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him and let it drop. Let it drop. How many times do we go to church and we are carrying so much baggage and we stand and we worship the Lord and we put our check in the tithe box and if you forgot to do that, it's just right outside that door there. 
You think I'm kidding. <laughs> we come to church and we put, we put on the appropriate phrase. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And yet we carry incredible burdens. We carry incredible burdens. You're thinking of some of them right now. Some of those things are coming into your consciousness as I'm speaking. Some of those burdens. Luke eleven four, And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. You know, leading into temptation and forgiveness are synonymous. Because when I refuse to forgive, I open myself up to demonic attack. When I choose to hang on to that debt, I'm a target for the enemy. And Jesus, I, I'm just an old-fashioned guy. I think Jesus meant what he said and said what he meant. And I don't think it's an accident that he tied these two things together, that if you, you know, forgive and don't lead us into temptation... Thirdly, we need to understand God's grace. When I get up in the morning, this may shock you, but when I get up in the morning, I put my pants on one leg at a time. I'm just about as normal as normal gets. And my ability to forgive is not because I'm a better person. It's not because I'm more spiritual than the next person sitting next to you. My ability to forgive is God's grace working in me. When you choose to forgive, you are actually portraying grace. The word grace means God's, God's reflection, God's working in the life that is reflected in outward ways. See, I gave my wife my phone. If I had a flashlight, I could turn the flashlight on and I could show it to you. And you would, you would see from the light coming out that there was a power source there. When God gives us grace, he gives us grace so that his power can shine through us. And forgiveness does that. We cannot forgive if God doesn't give us the authority and the power and the courage and the humility to do that. Because you know what? In my human nature... I just soon take you outside and give you a few reasons why you shouldn't speak to me the way you just did. But when I open myself to God's grace, I don't want to repay evil for evil. I don't want to get even. I just want to get on with it. And I don't want to drag things behind. Philippians 4, verses 12 and 13, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ. You know, you've heard that. I can do all things through Christ. This is the context of doing all things through Christ. Part of that is through Christ, with his grace working in our lives, we can forgive anything. We can forgive the unforgivable. We can forgive the adulterous spouse. 
We can forgive the abusive parent. We can forgive the person that raped you on the way home. We can forgive the unforgivable because of his grace working in our lives. Interesting story about Saul of Tarsus in Acts 7 and verses 54 through 60. Stephen was the first martyr in the church. The gentleman to the right depicted there is Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul. And he's standing there and he's viewing the execution of this man who refused to renounce the Lord Jesus Christ. This man is being stoned to death. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. And he saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witness, the witness laid down their garments at the feet of the young man Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that sound familiar? Where have we heard that before? Where have we heard that before? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, when he was being brutally murdered because of our sins and our transgressions, he cried out, Father, forgive them. Forgive the unforgivable because they just do not understand what they're doing. Linda and I have been married for 39 years. In those 39 years, I am sad to say that there have been a number of times when I've just gotten stuck on stupid. And I have hurt her. When we were planting that church, I was working part-time or full-time and most of the people coming to the church were first-time converts and they just needed an awful lot of help. And two and a half years into that church plant, I came home from work and my wife said, if I were not a Christian, I would take the children and I would leave you. The realization that I had wounded the heart of the person that I love more than anyone else in this world I can't describe to you the pain in my heart knowing that I had created such pain in her heart. She wasn't threatening to divorce me. She was trying to get my attention. You're neglecting your family. She forgave me. And the wound was closed and the marriage was healed.
Lastly, we have to understand that we can. You know, you may be here thinking, but George, you just, I mean, yeah, okay. So you were a workaholic and you hurt your wife. Big deal. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know what I did to the other person. This is nothing. We can forgive if we choose to forgive. If we choose to receive the grace of God into our hearts and lives, we can forgive the most unforgivable thing that has ever happened to us. In 2 Timothy 4, 14 through 18, the Apostle Paul is now in prison. He understands that his life is coming to an end. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much harm. The Lord will repay him. Say, I don't have to repay people for hurting me. I just need to let God handle it. Just let God settle the score. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. May it not be counted against them. I'm in prison. I have given my life for the gospel. I have given my life for you. My life is about over, and I'm looking around, and I am by myself. I think of Peter. They're walking. Jesus is saying, you know, Peter... I've got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and die. It is not going to happen. It is not going to happen. They continued their conversation and he says, you know, I will go and I will die with you. Peter, you really do not understand. Before that rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. In his cell, Paul understood what Jesus was trying to say to Peter, that he would die and that he would probably die alone. And he goes on, but he says, the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all of the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. We can endure the unthinkable we can endure. We can. We can endure. God will give us the strength that he gave Jesus when he was in the garden. Lord, if there's any, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please. But nevertheless, your will be done. Jesus' ability to forgive didn't happen when he was hanging on the cross. The grace that he received to forgive happened in the garden before he was betrayed with an act of affection. Before Judas pointed him out with a kiss, he had already received the grace of the Father. We can receive that same grace. We can receive the same grace. There's a woman that you may recognize, her name is Corrie Tinboom. 
For those of you that are as old as I am, you probably saw The Hiding Place. For those of you younger than 30, you may not know what I'm talking about. But Corey Tin Boom in 1947, from Holland, um, the, the Germans came in and they, they conquered her, her country, Hitler and his, his army. And her parents were murdered. Her and her sister were put into a concentration camp. They suffered terrible, terrible things. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after my talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him. She's speaking to a group of Christians in a church. That's when I saw him, working his way toward me against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with all of its harsh overhead lights the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past men. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Now in front of me, he thrust out his hand. A fine message, Fräulein. A fine message. How good it is to know that, as you say, all sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I who was, and I who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness fumbled in my pocketbook rather than to take his hand. Surely he could not remember me, but of course I could remember him. I was face to face with the one, my captor, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravenbeck in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did, but I would like to hear it from your lips. Fräulein, again as he puts out his hand, will you please forgive me? As I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive, Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking, forgive me? It could not have been but a few seconds. His hand held out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. I knew it only as a commandment of God but as a daily experience. 
Since the end of the war, I had had my home in Holland and it became, it was, since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of the Nazi brutality, those who were able to forgive their former enemies. This is very important. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. No matter what the physical scars, those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. Simply supply the feelings. The problem with forgiveness is our emotion. We know what's right. We know what the scripture says. Can we do what is right because it's right, even though emotionally we want to run away and do the opposite thing? When I choose to do what is right because it's the right thing to do, regardless of how I feel emotionally, something supernatural happens in me. And I receive that incredible grace. Four ways to forgive the unforgivable. Forgiveness versus reconciliation. Please do not misunderstand me. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. I can forgive the man who put my entire family at risk because he fired me for who knows whatever reason. We cannot be reconciled until he comes to his senses and says, George, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? We cannot be reconciled with God the Father. Jesus said, Father, forgive John. Forgive Mary. Forgive Frank. Forgive Sally. Forgive those that have put me upon this cross because of their sins. Forgive them. And when we say, God, will you please forgive us? He remembers the words of his son. And he says, yes, I will forgive. When there's that divine exchange of us acknowledging our wrong, of us acknowledging our sin, we begin the road toward reconciliation. It's that way in salvation. It's that way with Christ. To reconcile requires, number one, you have to acknowledge the wrong. You have to acknowledge it. You may be the person who wronged someone here tonight. I talked with a woman. Her children are married. They won't let her see her grandkids. And she doesn't understand why. It's like I want a relationship with my grandchildren, but my children won't speak to me, and they will not allow me to see the kids. And as I listened to her, she just went on and on about the problem of the children, the problem of the children, and there was such bitterness in her soul. There was no acknowledgement of the sins that she had committed to them. There has to be a biblical apology. If I hurt you, I'm sorry. That doesn't mean anything. I know I hurt you, but, if there's a but in this sentence, 
There's no apology. A biblical apology is, Linda, I remember the last argument that we had. I said things that wounded your heart. There is no excuse for my anger. There was no excuse for my behavior. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? I've got to acknowledge the sins that I have committed. I've got to take responsibility for the things that I have done. And I've got to ask for forgiveness. There has to be a desire for relationship. I think it may be safe to say that every person here over the age of 20 has experienced a broken relationship. I can think of so many that I would like to see healed, that I would like to see reconciled. And I've done all that I know to do, but they don't have the desire. My father died October the 29th, 2013. We were never able to reconcile because he never had the desire. The one thing I wanted to hear all my life was just such a simple thing, I love you. But instead of I love you, it was verbal abuse, at times physical abuse. And I had hoped and I had prayed that someday before he died that we could at least have a cordial relationship. If there's no desire, there's no reconciliation. And lastly, there has to be patience because rebuilding trust, you cannot undo in a day what years of neglect have created. So you have to be patient the rebuilding process. Lastly, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The person who forgives is the person who pays the price. If I'm going to choose to forgive, I am going to take on to myself the responsibility of paying the price for the sins that were committed against me. Does that make sense? The one doing the forgiving pays the price, endures the hurt and the suffering, the sorrow, in order to forgive. The one forgiving endures that. And the one forgiving receives incredible grace. Incredible grace. As the worship team comes up, are they coming? There we are. <laughs> As the worship team comes up, I want to ask you to examine your hearts. If you're here tonight and you're the person who's been hurt, God wants to give you an incredible gift. He wants to give you freedom. If you're the person who has created the pain, God wants to give you an incredible gift. Forgiveness.
as we go into our time of worship, allow the Lord to speak to your heart. And after the worship, we're going to ask for the shepherds and the ministry team to come forward. And we're going to give you an opportunity to receive prayer. So let's stand and let's worship the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs>